I've got big news. What? Celebrate is back. Yes, it is. The number one event for Revenue Pros is happening on November 15th. This virtual half-day event is packed with the playbooks, tactics, and insights you need for an upper hand in Q4 and beyond. Plus, I heard Upwork and Udemy will be sharing how they win more with Gone. And we have an extra special keynote speaker who I'm super excited about. Jeez, what a cliffhanger. But really, this is one event you won't want to miss. If you're not already registered, be sure to save your seat by going to events.gone.io backslash celebrate dash beyond 22. Or grab the link in the show notes. We can't wait to see you there. This is Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, then this show is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman. And I'm Karina Owens, coming to you from the Gong Studios. We are in the era of digital selling, which means the traditional field sales role is undergoing a major shift. But that definitely doesn't mean it's going away. And our guest on this episode has some thoughts around exactly how you should be thinking about how you should be adapting your field sales roles to be digital first. Frank Pender is the EVP of Digital Transformation Services at Corporate Visions, which is a science-backed consulting services firm for high-performing sales teams. I can't wait for you to hear our conversation with him. Let's dive in. Ladies and gentlemen of the Reveal Listener Sphere, we have today someone who could only be really described as the Wizard of Oz. He has worn tons of different hats. I have yet to find something that he is not absolutely sensational at. We have Frank Pinder on today. Frank, welcome to Reveal. Hey, Danny. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, man, that's a that's a tough intro to follow. Like, wow, if I'm like already a little nervous now, I got a big, uh, big shoes to fill for this podcast. Well, you certainly have a reputation that precedes you. Loving that we get to do this together. There is no shortage of brilliance between Karina and Frank. I'll certainly be bringing down the average, so we'll try and mind my P's and Q's as we have two smarter people in the room. Frank, I want to dive right in because the operative term in your LinkedIn title is digital. And we think about the miles you've walked advising Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies on navigating through the headwinds that they face and how to be successful, you certainly have a unique perspective on what it means as sales evolves to double down on the adoption of digital. Can you shed a little bit more light on really what's packed in that title and what you think about day in and day out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the first call outs is like, how do we even define digital selling today? Right. And so kind of pre COVID, it was like inside sales, field sales. And then there's actually like this big divide. It was like uh, inside salespeople are less skilled and they make less money and the odd man out. And um, they were kind of fighting for their importance and their understanding in organizations and in the market. And people were kind of like, oh, yeah, inside sales, that's interesting. That's interesting. But, you know, field sales is where it's at. We're, we're higher skilled. We make more money. We close bigger deals. And then like, boom, like COVID happens. Right. And then suddenly everybody becomes a digital seller an inside seller. And so. Part of um, part of this, I think, starts with just understanding like a common term or a common set of like naming conventions. So you hear companies now saying like inside sales, digital sales, high velocity skill sales. You hear virtual sales. I just call it digital sales because we're doing things digitally. 
Um, that's our, that's my point of view and our point of view of corporate visions. Like we see this as digital sales, but just know that when we're talking about that word, um, we, you can kind of use it interchangeably thinking about like the things that I focus on in my organization. I mean, there's really two parts that I focus on. The first is looking at really big companies that have had some version of digital sales for 20 plus years and saying, how do we help them to get an edge to do more and to do better? And then on the other side of the equation, there's so many large companies right now today that are thinking through how do we digitize our sales process? How do we actually create a digital selling motion when we predominantly relied on field sales to carry us through to this point in time? And when COVID hit, uh, some companies use that as an opportunity to transform, some didn't. And so there's still this active transformation happening even today across the board. So trying to be really sensitive to folks who have had illustrious careers in field sales and just being really blunt, thinking of inside sales, earlier in career sales, the forgotten unsung heroes of sales. I want to be quite honest and blunt with you, Frank, you know, is their day finally here where the playing field has been leveled and we have call it airing dirty laundry or demonstrating, illuminating, debunking and myth busting that the emperor has no clothes in field sales. Is that the takeaway we should be having from this revelation and the work you guys have done at Corporate Visions? Or is there still a place for upmarket field sales? Perhaps it's just becoming increasingly stratified as we no longer see maybe a 50-50 split, but as digital now almost means synonymously with inside sales, one in the same sort of motion, do we no longer place that field seller on the pedestal that for the last however many decades they've occupied. Talk to us a little bit about that. That's like such a really, such a great point. So I just want to like, like add a big asterisk here and say field sales is not dead. Field sales is not going away. Um, there are still field sales people. Field sales is still very important to most organizations. Um, however, we are seeing the lines just get really blurred. So think about it like there used to be maybe a divide or a big division between what a field salesperson was and what an inside or digital salesperson was. Those lines have never been more blurred um, than they have at any point in history. So now we look at it more as like if you're in the field, you're more of like what we would classify as like a hybrid rep. Like you do need to have some type of digital interaction. You do need to communicate with your customer via email, or you do need to communicate with your customer over Zoom or over you know, web conferencing. So if you're having those types of digital interactions, you're digitally selling. So I think uh, when you say, has it, did inside sales, did they finally get their day? I think what I would say to that is yes and no, right? The divide is just gone, right? We're all part of sales. And this is all part of a new way of doing business. We're not analog selling anymore. And I'll just give you like a quick example, true story. So I was actually at the Celebrate event for Gong in February of 2020. And I was like speaking on a panel at the event. And literally one of my customers was there. They pulled me out in the middle of the event before I went on stage. And they're like, Frank, we have 10,000 field sales reps in China and they can't leave their apartment like they, or their house. They literally cannot leave. What do we do? They didn't have any tools. They didn't have any technology. They got in their cars and they drove places or they got on trains and they went and shook people's hands. Those people were forced to be at home and to interact with their customers virtually or digitally. And so those people are still classified now today as field sellers. They have the ability to go meet somebody face to face if they need to or hop on a plane and fly and visit their customer. But they're now having more digital and remote interactions than we've ever seen before. 
Frank, I, I love that example. And I think that, you know, with this continued rise of digital selling, many uh, longer term organizations, if you will, uh, companies that have been around for a while, I find that in my experience, they're the ones that can often be a little bit uh, more resistant to this change. I think there's a lot of fear with how do we now reach our buyers since the old way of selling is no longer quite the norm where people aren't as comfortable with that in-person interaction. So how would you advise maybe some larger scale organizations that are resistant to this? What, what are some tactics or, or tricks or tips that you would share with them on how they can overcome uh, maybe what was more traditional selling more now towards this model of digital? It's a great question. I, the one thing I would say right out of the gate is I, so many companies that I talk to that are like actively trying to navigate this pivot. The one thing that most of them are saying, it's like the number one thing, this is anecdata. data. Okay. This isn't gong validated <laughs> data. Um, is that they're struggling most with the change management piece. Like, what do we even call these people? Because now they're not necessarily in the field. Now they're not necessarily like, uh, you know, top of the funnel lead gen person. So how do we reclassify or relabel these people? And it's the change management piece. And so I think with that in mind, a lot of times when I'm starting a conversation with a customer or a new potential customer about this topic in particular, they believe that I have some type of silver bullet or magic wand that I can wave. And then suddenly I have, you have digital sales. And then some customers come to us or companies come to us after the fact, after they've tried and failed. And basically what they say is that like, Hey, listen, we, we know that we have this, you know, archaic field organization. We know we need to figure out a way to modernize our sales organization, but we don't know where to start. So we just hired 50 people and we gave them some new pieces of technology, how to make a bunch of phone calls and it's not going so well. Right. And so the reality is, is that there isn't necessarily a magic wand. It takes time. It, it really takes time to make that transformation and pivot. And there's five big areas that we, we recommend people looking at. The first is really the skills. Do the skills that the team have today really align to the skills that they need in order to be able to sell in a digital world? The second one is the content. The content really, really matters, right? So the words that we say, the way we communicate with our buyer really matter. Do they have the right type of content to use in a digital selling motion that's actually gonna provoke a, a meaningful conversation with a prospect or buyer? The third thing we look at is technology stack. Do they even have any technology stack at all? Some some customers that I'm working with, um, publicly traded companies are like, we don't have a CRM. And we're like, okay, let's get the basics down. Let's get a CRM in place to get started, right? Um, but do they even have the right tools and technology that they need to enable a digital selling motion? Then we look at um, sales operations, right? So like, what is the, how does this team need to function properly? Like, because the way that we report on things, the metrics that we have accessibility to are just totally different in a digital selling motion. And then the last and final piece is, is really organizational structure and kind of change management. So digital sales just doesn't mean um, selling remotely. Digital sales have different organizational structures or they have entire teams and classifications of roles inside of digital selling organizations. So what are the right roles and responsibilities that are unique to that organization? As you're talking about digital transformation, Frank, selling in the 21st century, I'm also thinking about the talent transformation that most organizations are confronting. We have an exodus of one generation and then we have gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, whatever distribution with millennials and a younger guard of up and comers who are entering into the workforce. And some of whom 
have, I think, expectedly thought, if I have a career in sales, it will be defined by a company car, a generous expense account, status on airlines and hotels. And there's something, to be blunt, again, sexy about that. And that speaks to an era of, I would say, field sales. And what you're telling me is the digitization of selling means more investment in software and the ability to close some of the skill gaps from a home office as we may not be going back and working in that paradigm. In fact, our customers may not want that degree of FaceTime. And yet, if you think about the carrots that were historically used to seduce and allure people into this profession, and that's no longer on the table, or you had people alternatively who were already ingratiating themselves into sales on the cusp of making it into that holy land, the rarefied air where they only serve Evian and you fly first class in enterprise and you've just grinded in commercial and inside for however long. And now if that's off the table, whether it's up and comers or folks that are even contemplating a career in sales, perhaps there's this syndrome where they feel this is a bait and switch. I don't want to sign up for a career where it's all digital working from a 13 inch MacBook pro. I'm wondering as you advise companies on the necessity to digitize, but then also perhaps the inadvertent perils of disenfranchising their talent populations, how can you have both? I think part of it, it really comes back to just like scratching a little bit below the surface from that topical level and just really asking ourselves like, what is a field sales rep and what is a digital sales rep? And that's kind of what we were talking about earlier where the lines are really blurred, right? So even if you're in the field today, you are having some type of digital interaction with your customer. You are calling them after the fact, you're sending them a statement of work potentially at some point, you are having some type of digital interaction. Thinking about it from like the talent piece, we know some things for a fact. One of the things we know for a fact is like looking across the aggregate of field sales, digital sales, and like make drawing comparisons and contrast to like the type of nature of individual that can do these things. Um, we know that digital sales reps can reach four times more accounts than a traditional field sales rep can. So, and oftentimes like, or the, the kind of industry leading stat today is they can generate about 50% more revenue than just somebody in the field. Well, let's just use logic for a second, putting ourselves in the, at the shoes of a sales rep. So I have a, a customer in medical, medical device sales, and this is how they sell today. Right. And they're looking to, to digitally transform. Their sales rep flies to Atlanta, Georgia. They run a U-Haul and they take it to a, a medical distribution center and they roll a thousand pound piece of medical equipment into the U-Haul. Then they drive to a doctor's office. They roll it off the U-Haul. They bring it into the doctor's office and they say, take a look at this piece of equipment. Let's use it together. Let's demo it, right? Then they uh, roll it back up on the U-Haul. They drop the U-Haul back off. They Uber back to the airport and they fly home. Like, just think about that for a second, right? What if we could, uh, you know, have a very similar experience using the tools and technology that we have at our fingertips today by just emulating that process and in a virtual world? Well, it's totally possible. It's totally possible. The reality is, is that we can just be more effective. We can do business more quickly. Like we companies experience the benefit of reduced T&E and this is a good opportunity to pivot to, to like, how do most buyers want to be sold to today? So looking at some of the latest data from McKinsey as an example, like two thirds of buyers today prefer digital self-service or remote human interactions. Like, so like, let that sink in for a second really quickly. As a matter of fact, almost 50% of them in the top of the funnel prefer digital human interaction. So our buyers also want to be sold to now digitally or virtually, not just, 
us wanting to transform our organization for the sake of experiencing um, internal benefits and velocity through the sales funnel. This consumer appetite for buying digitally on their own terms is called digital self-service. And it's a trend that has skyrocketed in the past few years. According to that study Frank mentioned from McKinsey, 99% of B2B buyers said they would purchase through a totally digital self-serve model. And that's not just for small purchases. All the participants said they'd be totally comfortable making purchases up to $50,000 or even higher through entirely digital channels. Like Frank said, this is completely changing the way we as sales leaders need to be thinking about our selling models, our teams, and our tactics. I really personally relate to what you shared. I mean, I'm certainly one of those people in that stat, but I find that most organizations, particularly those F100 and, and F500, do not want to make that change for their buyers. They're not really listening to the voice of their customer. What would you say to them, aside from, of course, sharing this valuable data that we have, um, there's so much resistance with things like product-led growth and, and the buyers truly owning the sales process. I think too, with these new digital sellers or field sellers, there's still a resistance and a need to want to control every part of the process versus giving our buyers a little bit more liberty, if you will, to uh, take the selling process in their own hands. What would you share with them? What kind of advice? B2B buyers prefer to have remote human interactions now, right? So like that's first and foremost. So understand your buyer is like half the battle. Like how do our buyers want us to sell to them? But what I would say is you have to start somewhere. So a lot of companies get into paralysis analysis. They know they need to do this thing. They know they want to do this thing. And they spend a lot of time in planning and preparation and trying to figure out how to do it. And at some point, you just have to make the leap of faith and put it into practice. And so one of the ways that we guide companies through how to do this is um, pick, just like you said, product-led growth, right? Like pick a product or a series of products in your organization um, and pilot, run a few different pilots of digital sales and try a few different modalities. We, we call this basically testing. And so every organization that we work with, we test a series of pilot groups first to learn and to demonstrate and to understand how digital sales can work in their organization. And then once we have a series of kind of proof points and we learn through that process together, then we take that and start to lay the foundation of digital sales for it to scale upon. You can't like boil the ocean. You can't just turn the aircraft carrier and create digital sales with, this, with the flip of a switch. So run things in your environment, test things in your environment, figure out what works for you. And by the way, knowing you're going to fail, like go into it, knowing that there are going to be things that you're going to fail at, and you have to use those as learnings and the touchstone for growth as you continue to develop that foundation for digital sales. It takes time, unfortunately. I know. And I, I know that that's always the answer, especially in my field of account-based marketing. N nobody wants to take the time. Nobody wants to have failure be an option. But I, I love that you share that because I think it is critical to do some testing and uh, just get stuff done. Uh, there are too many people that are just waiting and waiting until they have everything in place before they can even start. So I think that's really great advice. Absolutely. So we, we recently surveyed a cross-section of our customers, um, all in the F500. Um, I think we had, you know, uh, several hundred responses across the uh, sales leadership to like try to determine how inside of these organizations they're thinking about growing or shrinking their field sales organization and how they're thinking about growing or shrinking their digital sales organization. And 
what we found is that of the people that participated, um, around 63% of them were contracting or decreasing the size of their field sales organization. And around 80% of those same people were increasing the size of their digital sales organization. They also said that the share of revenue attributed to digital sales was expected to grow over the next three years. So they're going to continue to invest in those things. So what we know is that companies are going through this right now. This is happening. But we also know that it's creating like a big host of problems as a result of that, right? So let's just talk really quickly about buyer reachability. So now there's more people trying to digitally sell than ever before in the market, cold calling, sending out bad emails, junk, right? As a matter of fact, I love this uh, quote so much. Um, uh, in the United States last year alone, there were 21 billion scam robocalls that were made. All right. Renewing your car warranty. Like if you're listening to this, you probably got one. I get like three or four a day. Okay. This was described by the Ohio attorney general as a biblical plague of locusts descending on our cell phones. All right. So the, the problem is, is that now there's more digital selling good stuff, bad stuff, scam stuff out there in the world that our buyers are more and more difficult to get a hold of. It's almost impossible. And so like I would challenge everybody on this call really quickly to think of a time where somebody tried to digitally sell to them. It happens to all of us. Even if you're in an SDR role, somebody's trying to sell something to you. And where did that message not land? And where was that message maybe so far away from what actually represented you as a buyer? So I'll give you a quick example. So I'm sitting at my uh, desk, you know, working and I get this like little ping on LinkedIn and it says, it's an end mail and it says financial planning for your future. And I'm like, okay, I'm interested. Financial planning for my future. Click on the end mail. Frank, thank you so much for taking the time to receive my note. Um, I, I know exactly what people like you are going through as they're thinking about financially planning for their future success. I specialize in working with traveling nurses to uncover their needs for the future of, fi of, of financial planning. And I'm like, what? I'm not, a, I'm not a traveling nurse. I'm not even close to a traveling nurse, right? So, so I go back to this guy, cause like what I wanna do is I wanna help our customers reach their buyers. So I go back to this guy and I'm like, you know what? Like, hey, listen, I do this for a living. I try to help our customers reach our buyer. I just wanna tell you, like, I'm not a traveling nurse. I'm not even close to a traveling nurse. And like, please think about personalizing your interactions with, with, your, with your buyer before you send notes. So he says to me, he goes, can I get another try? Can I get another at bat? And I'm like, okay, one more. Like, yes, you can try again. Sends me the exact same message, templatized, but replaces traveling nurses with engineers. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, think about that for a second. Like that is an interaction that I had last week. I'm getting interactions like that almost on a daily basis, like almost on a daily basis. So our buyers are numb to being to being reached. They don't want to be reached anymore. And it's more and more difficult to get a hold of them than it's ever been at any point in history. Off the soapbox now. So I love this soapbox, especially as a marketer. Uh, we talk about personalizing all the time with our field sellers. And it is not insert first name token here or insert new correct job title here. Like that's dreadful. I love to live by the philosophy of if it can't be read and only understood by that person then it's not personalized. So well, I think you afforded this individual a great opportunity. I don't think they took it, <laughs> but love the soapbox. Please continue that soapbox. Yeah. And so if you're a sales leader, like thinking about the, your content strategy or you're thinking about how do I 
um, enable my team with the right types of messages to go out to reach my buyer. And if you're thinking about how do I do this across a thousand people or 2000 people or 10,000 people, the temptation is there to create genericized messages. And I would challenge you to think back when you read, when you receive a message like that, do you respond? No. So let's not perpetuate this with, you know, with, with our own teams. So true story, I'm on a call with a customer a couple of weeks ago, and we're going through some techniques for personalization. And they say to me, they're like, Frank, um, we can't get our team to personalize content. They, they just don't have the ability. It's really hard to try to get 5,000 people to personalize an email. Cause how do you like quality control? How do you make sure that it's not just like the first name, like you were saying, that's personalized. And so they just said, you know what, we're just going to copy and paste these emails. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like this is a skill issue. And let's like talk about really quickly, like personalization across 10,000 people. Cause like, how do you control that? First of all, you have to track and monitor the words that people are using and the words that people are saying. So I want to understand what's happening inside of an email when it's being sent. And I want to understand what's happening in the words that somebody's saying on a phone call. And our team in particular uses Gong to be able to do that, right? So that's number one. The second thing is this concept that we call the 1080-10 rule. So when you actually look at the data and you look at like millions and millions, even hundreds of millions of sales interactions across like what level of personalization is optimal. What we know today is it's about 20%. 20% personalization in email is really optimal to get somebody to reply. So a lot of times we're coaching people on this concept that we just call simply put the 1080-10 rule, which is personalize the first 10% of your interaction with a prospect use the awesome nuggets of information that's been provided by your marketing team, your enablement team as the sales copy that's relevant and specific to what that buyer's needs are. And then lastly, personalize your last 10% of that email. 100% personalization can work really well. It's just simply not scalable. You can't, it takes too much time to personalize 100% of your emails. The enablement professional on the call is smiling with all the warm and fuzzies as you're talking about, okay, tactically, how do we take what is one small step for Frank Pinder, but one giant step for Acme and these F100, F500 companies that you're advising on digitizing? I, I think that the theoretical that McKinsey talks about is so great, but then when the rubber meets the road, what's really hard for the enablement teams of these organizations is from the ivory tower, consultancies like Corporate Visions give all the right advice. You need to digitize. If you don't, sort of the writing is on the wall, so to speak, as far as survival and the efficiency yields that you will absolutely surrender if you don't think about changing. And then when it actually comes to instituting the practical applications, exactly what you said, our folks who have always built rapport, built personalization by taking folks out to Morton's, if we strip them of that opportunity, then all of a sudden... What was, again, as we said before, one small step for Frank becomes a giant quantum leap step for these sellers who have to now all of a sudden orient themselves to an entirely new landscape that feels like the lunar moon of which they've landed on. It's unrecognizable and it's devoid of a lot of context and personalization. If you are asking Acme, so to speak, Frank, to make what will be a quantum leap for them, you'll have the support of the Karinas in marketing to help personalize and guide our sellers away from committing that fatal mistake of swapping out, you know, engineer for traveling nurse and thinking that that is sufficient. But also there is that tipping point where folks will misunderstand that I have to personalize 100%. What are some of the other tips, tricks, or secrets you can share 
as people confront the hard truth that they have to digitize. When you're looking at your technology stack and like what what it is you even need and your and your tools and your tool set to get started, um, I'm going to skip the basics like CRM and just you know the ability to meet digitally or virtually with Microsoft Teams or Zoom. Um, some of the I think things that you should be thinking about is number one data like your data provider. To me, data is arguably one of the most important parts of any digital sales team. If you have bad data to begin with, then you don't even have a chance, right? So data is a big one. Um, uh, very curious uh, recently about how SCP sales engagement providers fit into the mix or just any type of tool that enables you to have a digital sales interaction, right? So any way you're communicating with your customer. Um, we've seen the emergence of some really powerful uh, uh, tools recently with like video now, like with companies like Vidyard. Now, one of the challenges there is like really adoption. It's hard to get people to use video, but it's a great way to create a personalized interaction with your buyer and also add a little bit of like humanness. It's not a word, but humanness to what you're doing. Like I'm a human being on the other side of this email. Um, we actually did a neuroscience study on video and what we found, like one of the findings was essentially that anytime anybody gets an email, whether it has a video or not, there is a visceral negative reaction in their brain. Like nobody likes to get emails. It's actually super unpleasant. However, when somebody um, gets a video based email, they actually have a pleasant response, which is not the same as just getting one from a, a flat text email. And also they remember the content. It makes the content more memorable. So video is another great tool. Um, the list really goes on, honestly. I'm just going to say this like on the record for a minute. So last year I was working with a, a really large medical company to help them with some, some digital transformation stuff. And the whole deal and everything was done, uh, the initial deal was done all virtually, never met the people face-to-face, -face, never shook their hand, never show, shared a meal with them. And in the beginning stages of our project, we came together to like workshop it out as a group. And that night I went to dinner with the team, their team and our team and one of the SVPs of sales. And we went to the Morton's style steakhouse, you know, and I sat next to this SVP of sales and we were talking about um, his family and his dogs and uh, his retirement plan, right? And he's got a golf cart that he drives around in Georgia and Alpharetta, Georgia, right? And so those types of conversations, like there's nothing in the world that can replace that thing, right? So I'm not here like swinging the pendulum all the way to let's never see each other face to face ever again. <laughs> Um, because those things, you just can't replace those interactions. But what we can do is we can be more efficient. We can save money on T&E as, as businesses, and we can really reach more customers in a more meaningful way based on how they want us to reach them using a digital sales motion. I love that story, Frank. I think you mentioned a lot of tech and a lot of different strategies. And obviously, this role in these teams are going to be scaling it's going to be increasingly hard for organizations to retain top talent. What would you say would be the number one skill set or characteristic that companies should be looking for when they're hiring uh, or developing these types of roles and teams? So there's, there's actually like two ways that I would look at this. The first is really on a baseline skill level. So one of the things that we advise people to look for is this concept that we just call digital dexterity, which is like, can you type? Can you use a keyboard, right? Like, do you understand how to even like use a computer? And believe it or not, there are people in this upcoming generation of people entering the workforce that just don't have basic digital dexterity skills. 
Um, I've worked with some companies they had to fire new hires because they couldn't type like fast enough, right? So digital dexterity is number one, right? Like that's a skill. Then I look at qualities of an individual, regardless of background, um, that I think sometimes you can't teach people about, like you can't teach somebody to change maybe a part of their personality. And some of the things that I look for um, uh, really is like want more, which is a gone core value. Like you can't teach somebody to just want more. Right. And I absolutely look for that in an individual. Like they're not going to be satisfied um, with, with the status quo. They want more. That's one. I look for people who, and I would also describe it as being hungry. Like they're just super hungry. I look for people who have a, a level of humility, right? Like they walk quietly and carry a large stick. Um, and then the last one, which is a little ambiguous, but I look for people that are just smart, right? Like they have a good point of view. They have a distinct way of looking at things and they add diversity and thought to back to the team and back to the equation. Fitting that we close today's episode with wanting more. I think I can speak for Corrine and the rest of the uh, Reveal listeners. We want more Frank Pinder. So Frank, yeah. the, the question that we ask every single one of our guests on this episode, I suspect maybe you've heard it, but it's going to come to you anyways. If you, in our closing minutes of this episode, if you could describe sales in one word, what would it be? Resilience, right? Like you're going to get no's, uh, or I would say pleasant persistence. Like you're going to get no's along the way and you, you got to be okay with that. And so I think most salespeople that I met are the most resilient people in the world. As I think about what it is that you and your team at Corporate Visions are doing, trying to unlock reachability, which has come at an all-time premium, but certainly with tremendous odds stacked against sellers out there, it will take resilience to achieve what will be necessary to continue being successful going through this year and beyond. So Frank, can't thank you enough for sharing what is a unique perspective. I mean, even just writing down the digital dexterity and it's taking me back to like all of those years as a kid of typing, I don't know, what was it? Mavis Beacon teaches typing and we still have to be mindful of those basic fundamentals and then to go steps and steps above and corporate visions can certainly be a partner for the listeners out there that can get you there. We're really appreciative of all the time you've lent us today, Frank. No, thank you, Frank. Your knowledge here was uh, so useful. I think people are going to have so many takeaways from this, and we just can't thank you enough for this. Thank you. Thanks, Danny and Karina, for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performing sales teams, head on over to gong.io. And if you like what you heard, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.